0: Welcome to the Sensual Artistry Podcast, exploring erotic awakenings and liberated love. I'm your host, Luna Agnea, a sensual arts and intimacy facilitator, relationship coach, tantrika, and artist with a passion for the path of liberation through love. In this podcast, you will receive firsthand stories of sacred erotic awakenings transformational experiences and love that goes beyond limits. This podcast is here to inspire, educate, and awaken your own sensual artist. Because when you liberate your eros, you liberate your life.
1: Hi! Hi
2: everyone! (laughs) This
1: is Mr. Shawnee Love. That's
2: my name. Hello, (laughs) darling. Do you want
1: to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, hello. My name is Shawnee Love. I run an organization called the School of Erotic Mysteries. I'm really working with um, sacred sexuality, light and dark. That includes kink, BDSM, Neo-Tantra, archetypes and rituals. And um, yeah, I'm delighted to have a little conversation with you all today.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, Sean has been in the industry for a long time. He was one of the kind of foundational people teaching uh, conscious kink and stuff uh, on the world. Um, So he's been doing it for a fair few years. 11 years now. 11 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's a bit of a legend, Uh, a bit of a legend in the scene, you know. So, yeah, very lucky to get to chat to him today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um so yeah, Shawnee, I like everyone telling a bit of a story about like an erotic awakening or something that like you know through erotic play, through king, through whatever, had like a transformational experience that like changes their life or whatever. So do you have a story you'd like to tell? A
2: story us? like that, goodness me. Um mm-hmm hi um yeah so i didn't i was always quite kinky Mm. and did not ever understand why i was kinky and what that meant at the time can i tell them my age i'm 50 something Mm. (laughs) early something and um i was always quite kinky and what i mean by that is all my sexual fantasies as a teenager were quite uh dark and perverted and involved wanting to overpower people and dominate people and hurt people and I had no reference point for why that could be or what or how that would make sense or there was no reason for it as, as that I knew at the time mm-hmm. and so a big part of me hated that part of myself, hated those fantasies and really pushed them down and I think this is quite a common experience to many people who are listening or watching, watching, listening will have experience experiences pushing down some of their sexual desires. So there's hope for everybody. And yeah, so I pushed that down and part of my conscious response was to become quite the opposite of that, that darker thing and become quite a hippie. And you know, doing all the hippie things that were available in the early nineties, like hippie festivals at the ConFest and the Grow and all these different things and exploring all the yoga and Taoist meditations and Buddhist meditations and angels and different things. And um, that didn't stop those darker fantasies coming out. Yeah, I thought, yeah, they didn't stop them. So even though um, I was learning a lot about ritual and energy and spirituality, I still had this thing that couldn't be healed through, through, you know, channeling and ritual and paganism and white light. and yeah, I used to play a little bit with some partners, not in a very conscious way, but I used to say, yeah, to lovers in like the 90s and early noughties, you yeah, pretend you don't like it or fight back a little bit or hold me down, you know. I didn't understand why that would be beautiful, but it was. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm coming to answer your question, but mm-hmm. background feels like it's significant to your mm-hmm. question. Um... And, yeah, I was dating someone in the mid-noughties, and um, she had been traumatised. Her boundaries had been violated, and um, whenever she was being erotic and sexual, her, her whole body would freeze up and just get like shut down. And we—I didn't have—I didn't know anything about trauma at the time or anything like that. But she said she would like to meet that part, that dark part of me. You know, ritual. She'd like to meet that dark part. So she she designed a ritual. And um, she wanted to recreate the steps of what happened to her and she needed me to be fully authentic with this sort of darker, nasty part. And um, yeah, so we did this ritual and she kind of entered a phase of sort of micromanaging like, say these words, say them stronger, hold me this way, do this, do that. And so as I was in that authentic Ra, that beast, that violence, and she was at her command, I was turning on and off again. And she had this journey like tracing inwards inside herself until she found that exact spot where the trauma in. And also such a really powerful moment of like catharsis and emotion and release. And she unblocked something and just all this beautiful, powerful energy and emotion just poured out of her like a really powerful thing. And I was just like, ah. And she said, Shawnee, this thing that you're ashamed of and scared of inside yourself is actually medicine for the world. And she said go and learn more about it and go and study it and yeah go and work with it so that's what i did and um yeah you said i'm a pioneer but i went to all the workshops of people who were pioneers mm. even before me mm. so full credit to them uh like uh dossie Easton and barbara Corellas and joseph kramer and raven Kildara, and just learned everything i could and just ended up organizing my own workshops and then started teaching and then dun, 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 that's the That's the beginning. Yeah, Yeah,
1: Sounds powerful. And Mm. you're also really big on, um, yeah, studying trauma and understanding trauma now and like the therapeutic kind of benefits of kink when it's done consciously. So yes, do you think it's still through that same experience that you came into learning more about that?
2: Yeah, big time. When I first started learning about um, the power of BDSM, I was calling it Shamanic BDSM. So the first workshop I organized was Shamanic BDSM. So I was really into the in the energy work of it. It's like unblocking energy traps inside the body. Mm. And that felt like, well, that's what I learned. And only a couple of years after doing that, I went and studied counselling to learn about holding space and learning about asking the right questions. And then even more recently, I said, I need to learn about trauma because trauma keeps popping up in these sessions. And um, so after, yeah, so I started a very woo, and shamanic and energy-based and just let like more and more about the science of the mind and the nervous system so now I feel like there's that variety of having lots of woo or lots of science and being able to help lots of people with it <laughs> I should say I would never say that the work is healing in itself but there's healing possibilities and I wouldn't say it's a therapy but it can be therapeutic if you approach it properly mm.
1: yeah beautiful what would you say are the the elements and the things that make a session different between like a regular uh just like fun kinky bdsm session and one that is more based around being therapeutic where the potential for healing could happen mm-hmm, in that session
2: mm-hmm. yeah so the fun aspects i really love that as well and i don't want to like create a hierarchy between what's fun and what's healing what's educational what's intimacy you know these are all different directions we can head and there's no hierarchy and the fun is Fun and pleasure is can be healing in itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a fun healing can be a spanking healing. And um, yeah, but I think what makes a difference is some kind of um, relationship, some kind of willful and conscious decision to step into that healing space. Mm. So it's like being able to hold space for someone. Um, so, that, you know, in BDSM, like in therapy, there's normally a... a t- someone being off service um, and that's the dominant in BDSM or a therapist in a therapy session. And so there's an overlap in those roles when you talk about the healing session. So mm. it's like a holding space. And if I'm holding you in such a way you don't need to hold yourself, that allows you to sort of drop in and, that, and visit those traumas and those pains and those blocked emotions. So I think that therapeutic or that sort of holding space in the dynamic is probably the most important element.
0: Mm.
2: And then just having an acute awareness, like a vigilance of noticing fluctuations of people's breath and energy and what's going on. Um, And I think when you're in the moment, it's the conversation between the the gira, the dominant intuition, and the receiver's ability to communicate and express their boundaries and their needs in in real time. Mm. So if, if the submissive person or the person being healed or the person having the therapy, they have to be really good at saying harder and slower and softer and a bit to the left and, you know, do you anything like that so they can sort of trace that healing inside themselves? Yeah. Mm. I think those are some of the building blocks. Yeah, mm. absolutely.
1: Yeah. I found one of the biggest thing in, in teaching kink is noticing how many, especially women, um, can't, yeah, really say what they want or they don't know what they want. And that in itself is such a big process to get, someone to be able to actually say, yeah, to the left, harder, softer. Um, and that can take already sessions and sessions and sessions just to build up that um, capability. Do you have like tips or uh, things that have worked really well for you for people that struggle with that?
2: Yeah, so I think um, that, that healing and that empowerment, there's a lot of overlap between those things. And the, the ability to learn how to, that, to learn to have that level of communication is a huge journey in itself and hugely healing. So someone can say "Stop" or harder" just to get to that place is huge. Mm. Um, it's sadly, it is gendered mm. it's not it's not strictly gendered, but it's good to talk about it in terms of gendered and um yeah, from the outset, knowing if someone can't say no, their yes is never really authentic. One mm. of my teachers, Rebecca Lowry, had a quote, "If they can't say no, they can never really say yes. Mm. I think that's good to think about so when someone's unable to do that make the session about that yeah make it about that and that can be like um some contrived exercises like instead of just start hitting you until you say stop like just doing little annoying things like pulling your hair or p- or fingering your eye or your nose or like <laughs> wet willies or whatever you call them <laughs>
1: yeah
2: you know, eventually there's going to be a no and just like really celebrate those as powerful acts on the journey towards empowerment yeah. mm.
1: beautiful and yeah, I know that um, you also yeah speak a lot to, especially males that want to get into doing sessions and being sex workers in that sense, like being able to provide healing space. Um, I think I remember you yeah, had a talk or something and you were saying, you know, that for women looking for these kind of sessions, it's not so much about what a person looks like or even their um, their skills as much as it is their ability to create safety. And that that's um, what is the most important thing that a lot of people are seeking is like someone that can hold a safe space.
2: Yeah, again, it's not strictly on gender grounds, but that's a good yeah. way to describe it. And I think, you know, if, depending what you're after, if you're after frivolity, you're looking for a certain kind of provider. And you're after space holding and witnessing and it's a different kind and i think those skills are really important mm. and so i never imagined to be a sex worker i never thought that was possible or I never even fantasized about it because it's just like outside the realm of possibility um i'm not a, like a, i imagine a male sex worker something who's like six foot three with no hair on their body and i've got lots and they're a mm. chippendale with a six pack and i just don't have that at all but um, i have just be really diligent in exploring my conscious mind and the ability to communicate. Yeah. And I think one of the learnings for men, even before I thought about men becoming sex workers, men are learning how to, you know, women not are able to say their boundaries is men not being able to ask for consent. Mm. So a lot of men are just, we were brought up to a that people are just supposed to know what to do. I was just supposed to know what to do. And that, that's just such a fallacy. No one, knows what to do perfectly with their lovers, so going to courses and learning lessons and getting practice in and learning to how to ask is probably one of the greatest gifts, mm. like if it's a spanking, learning how to ask how hard do you want it, and just because everyone's body is very different, so yeah. never make assumptions, I think that's one of the greatest things is never making those assumptions
1: Yeah, and I love that, like in um, workshops, like you know I've done some of Shawnee's workshops yay. before, yay, at some festivals and stuff, and um yeah it's really like i don't know when i first came to workshops and the idea of you know doing all this like diligent check-ins and asking all the time like you kind of feel like it would just get all in your head and um, that it's going to like take away from the sexiness and the spontaneity. Um, but very quickly in the workshops, you start realizing how fun and playful it is and how like you can ask for consent in a way that actually like really adds to the scene. And I like the way that you do that, Uh um, especially, yeah, like in some of the more like aggressive primal predator things. And there's, there's beautiful ways to, um, yeah, be able to have these check-ins while adding to the experience rather than taking it away making it feel like clinical or something like yeah,
2: that yeah exactly you are like um yeah there's a there's a feeling if i ask for consent it's going to break the mood mm. break the spell but learning how to ask in an ongoing way without breaking the spell it's such an art form so it's continually checking in even when you do something really dark and violent and rah, mm. it's a sort of when you when you're checking you don't drop to check in so if i've got i've got my claws in you and I want to ask if it's harder, I don't let like, go to ask, I say, ah, you know, still accessing it. Do you want that harder? Is it hard enough? There's different ways to ask it. Mm. Just bringing the question and the conversation into the dynamic and that makes it, yeah, alive, very alive and very safe. and allows mm. you to go much deeper. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And
1: even one of the workshops we were working with, Consensual Non-Consent, which is um, a... a very, very common desire. Like a lot of people have these kind of rape fantasy, um, desires for being taken. And, um, and yeah, I was having a conversation about this last night, how like a lot of people really run into these scenes because they have this, um, kind of fantasy and then they're like, Oh yeah, like random boyfriend, we haven't done much kink before, but I want you to break into my house and, um, you know, assault me. And they, they haven't really negotiated the scene properly. They don't really have um, good tools. And then it can quickly go from being like a sexy fantasy to something that's really triggering uh, and uncomfortable and makes both people self-conscious. And yeah, so you have like amazing tools um, where the person that is being taken is still like maintaining a level of control over the intensity and stuff. And this is why I love like workshops and why I'm so passionate about education. Cause it's like, you know, you could just dive into the scene and see how it goes and, you know, could end up potentially with even both people being hurt because the person doing the taking, like they don't want to actually hurt their partner. And if they do, then that's really triggering too. Mm. Um, so yeah. What, what tips would you give people, I guess, without like, you know, obviously recommend going to a, a workshop, Come to a the workshop. Lab. <laughs> and coming to the live ones but, um, you know, even just as like home tips or something or yeah.
2: Yeah, I think the first thing is, is to know it's not all or nothing. Mm. To not try to achieve everything the first time you try it. Because someone's like, I've got a rape fantasy and I just want to be raped and please do it for me. And I think um, there's several steps before you can get there. And just sort of gently overpowering someone, you know, in a way to hold someone so that they can't move is a sort of powerful step in the right direction, mm. you know that all or nothing attitude, as you say, it's gonna traumatize people. People will more often than not just get traumatized because one little thing gets said wrong, a wrong word, a wrong slap, or holding some of the wrong ways. And we've seen this happen many times. Mm. Um, so just taking those small steps and learning how to check in. If, I, if I'm doing con on con with you, and if I call you a slut, for example, some people will really love to be called a slut in those scenes, but some people are gonna be triggered by it. So there's so many nuances and ways to check in around, yeah, can I call you a slut? Can I call you a hawk? Can I put my hands on your throat? And there's just so much variety. So, yeah, taking in small steps and just holding someone down, holding someone's hair, holding someone's throat without choking, just holding the hands there. Can, these are all small steps that can really, like, help in the direction of con non con Or If you start, when you if you are fucking someone just to, can I hold your wrists mm. or oh, please hold my wrists as you're fucking me. Yeah. Let me struggle a little bit. So just taking small steps can sort of open up to a whole possibility. And I find it really sexy. Mm. Condon Con is really sexy and really fun, but can it also be really healing and transformative. It's got all those different elements to
1: it. Yeah, it's so interesting it being such a big um, fantasy because there's also, you know, it's most people's biggest fear, um, you know, to be like unconsensually taken from, and it's cause of so much trauma. And yeah, it's kind of interesting that the energetics of it, um, you know, this is pretty common that, you know, if you say like, Oh yeah, what's your like dirtiest sex fantasy? And then what's your biggest sex fear? And they're often like pretty much the same thing, but it's about like the context of the situation. And like, do you have, um, theories or observations around like why that is such a, common desire when it's also such a common
2: fear yeah i've got some ideas Mm -hmm. um we're getting deeper into psychology i hope that's okay i feel like um you know our society is not very healthy when it comes to attitudes towards sexuality Mm. and most of us from a young age need to suppress our desires and our fantasies and our body's impulses we have to suppress our body's impulses in order to fit into society and school so um, it's not strictly on gender terms, so that's probably the best way to explain it again. Um, so me as a very horny teenage boy, back in the day, it's like, yeah, I'm full of lust for my schoolmates and I always wanna like, rah, and I just wanna like, you know, play. And the, the rejection of a schoolboy is like constant, you know, just every day and race. And so quickly learned to, um, quickly learned not to approach girls, not to flirt with my schoolmates because it's just like, rejection is too painful at that age so yeah my sexual fantasies just turned to well what if i forced her mm. what, yeah so what if i just forced her and my sexual fantasies often became if i force someone they might fight back at first but eventually they're gonna like open up and fall in love with me mm. and while i was like masturbating as a teenager i'd like have this fancy and they would fall in love with me and I'd orgasm just at that point and mm. i was like a really common masturbatory theme for me revealing a lot so i'm just gonna hide my eyes a little bit and take a breath and it's not strictly on gendered grounds, but again, a, a lot of women, schoolgirls, you know, your body as a schoolgirl, you were horny and you wanted sex and maybe you did some things together, maybe dangerous things, I'm not sure, you can, uh, you can talk about that in a moment. But um, in school, you need to like not be that because you'll be mm. a slut yeah. and you'll be ostracized. And I think a lot of girls um, don't want to be ostracized, don't want to be called a slut. So even though their body's horny and their body's aroused, so they start to fantasize, or if someone forces me to do it? Mm. Then I'm not a if because I didn't choose it, but i still ha- having an erotic or a physical need that so they often will fantasise about being taken. And that's one of the reasons, one of many. I'm not saying it's the only reason. But yeah. Yeah. And the same with, like, gay fantasies for a lot of people. Mm. If someone's like, um, I am fancy that boy, but I wish I didn't, so they might fantasise about being forced to do something with a boy. Or, you know, there's yeah. lots of nuances, lots of directions. But I think it's... M- We have an unhealthy society, unhealthy Mm -hmm. attitudes towards sex, I think that just causes fantasies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of interesting, uh, yeah, theories around that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, the important thing, um, you know, is around like getting rid of the shame around it because the more we, yeah, we repress and feel shame around the fantasies that we have and the more that we think that it's like wrong and dirty, then they kind of get more powerful and take over more and more versus like, having a healthy outlet and being like, yeah, I quite like to be ravished and taken. So I'm just going to like, let myself enjoy that. The more that you kind of suppress that and try to avoid admitting it and, um, exploring it, then the more it kind of festers and, um, can get to more extremes, I think as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, things fester, we have unhealthy attitudes towards sex in the world and, um, there's many reasons, I'm just giving you some common examples. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't want things to fester, we want to blossom. Let's blossom, Yeah. Yay,
1: yeah, another workshop you have is, um, what was it like? Consent and boundaries will save the world or something. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: That's a good one for like, at the start of a sexuality festival. Um, mm-hmm like Intimate Revolution or Sexolution or Celebrating Sexuality. You know, they have these sexuality festivals around the world, which you should all go to because they're amazing. <laughs> I think on the first day, you have different consent and boundary exercises. And my one's called Consent and Boundary Saves the World, because mm. it's just like learning how to ask. Learning how to ask and get the rejection without feeling despondent. Mm. So when someone says no to me, it doesn't crush me. And I stop being afraid of the no and that's yeah, super powerful and just learning how to say no and especially for women who've had Mm -hmm. their boundaries crossed many times or maybe after please, learning how to say no with authenticity I think it does save the world. It saves that one person's world because that person's life is transformed after that. So I think, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it starts in the the bedroom and being really obvious in sexual situations where we have this problem, but then it kind of weaves out into the rest of our lives if we can't say no to the things that we don't want and we can't say yes to the things that we want. So... Um, You know, I would say like, yeah, the stuff that is showing up in the bedroom and the stuff that we struggle with in the bedroom, it's not just about the bedroom and people then will kind of give it less importance, I think, because they're like, oh, well, it's just a sex thing and maybe I just avoid sex or don't do it. But it's like, actually, this is probably playing out in your life a lot, too. And I know like since I... Um, I had to go through a lot of work, uh, with my boundaries. I would always freeze up and not be able to say no and all that typical kind of stuff as well. And the more that I learned to be more confident and fluid with saying yes and no, and, um, being able to like speak my boundaries and the more that, yeah, just showed up in my whole life and being able to like set boundaries with housemates and friends and family and, and um, your boss, if you've got a job. Yeah. Yeah people that have bosses
2: people that have bosses people okay. that have bosses
1: yeah
2: <laughs> yeah you're right you know learning how to say no in that situation helps the whole rest of your life mm.
1: yeah yeah so what are some um, other things i know you're really passionate about ritual and ritual theater and how that kind of comes in
2: yeah um, you want
1: to share about how that ties in with your kink and uh...
2: yeah so um conscious kink or well, the way i practice it i used to call shamanic bdsm Um, There's a combination of counseling, um, Carl Rogers kind of person-centered counseling. And there's a lot of theater in there as well. And that sort of ritual theater when you're sort of accessing authentic parts of yourself. Like right now, I'm not a beast, but there's a beast inside me and learning how to bring it out in the theater setting. So that's uh, authentic transmission to an audience. And I think that's very similar to bring that beast out with a lover. It's like, rah, accessing it. Or also like, um in theater accessing like the virgin inside me or the daddy inside me or the, the fascist inside me it's like these are all elements that are inside all of us and the more you can bring them out in theater or the more i learn how to bring them out in theater the more they can bring them out in like in the sexual setting when they're needed mm-hmm. so it becomes like a whole um array um of different characters or personas or authentic elements of myself that come out mm. so being able to role play yeah. It's like fun can be fun and frivolous, but it can also be transformative. When I'm accessing some part of myself and bringing it out in a sexual situation, it feels like for me, it feels like I'm accessing some part of myself, so I'm accessing it and then integrating it and becoming more of a whole being. Mm. And so many spiritual traditions are about becoming more whole whether it's Buddhism and you want to learn more about yourself or Hinduism, and you want to break the cycle of incarnations or phlema, where you want to like learn more about your true will and purpose. Um, All these things are about like, yeah, learning about myself and becoming more whole and becoming more aware of all the different elements and all the different triggers and traumas Mm -hmm. and, powerful things yeah, yeah. so theater's a big part of that I, w- I waffled a bit but yeah is that interesting
1: yeah. yeah it's beautiful and it also makes you think of um you know when we're working with emotions and getting people to touch in with emotions you know I say like yeah pretend that you're in a theater and you're acting at first like for people that really can't access their rage or their sadness because they've been suppressing these parts then it really helps to kind of get really dramatic and go a little bit over the top. Um, and, you know, pretend that you're in this like dramatic scene and then that can really help people to start accessing these emotions that they've suppressed. So it's interesting also for, uh, yeah, different archetypes and energies within people to, um, get a bit theatric with it. And that, that actually is a very, um, healing thing. And there's even been yeah studies on, um, how, yeah, kind of acting in theatre, things are trauma healing for people because mm-hmm.
2: of that reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, there's this fake it till you make it, I think mm-hmm. you touched on that. Take Fake it till you make it, pretend to cry until you do cry. But there's lots of therapies that do have that sort of role play element to it, like family constellations, mm-hmm. and I think Gestalt therapy, mm-hmm. you know, they have elements of like role play and acting things out and exploring situations and being really authentic with it, I think. These are really healing. These can be really healing and really empowering. Really worth exploring. Mm -hmm.
1: Beautiful. So yeah, we're almost at the end of our time. Do you have any uh, favorite like tips or shares or anything that you want to give to these beautiful people that are listening slash (laughs) watching?
2: Listening slash watching. Tips. First one, don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to hear no and take heart to ask, can I do something to you? Can I slap you? And if there's a no, just like, yeah, learn to feel it. Learn to accept it with grace and maybe practice at the workshops, you, you practice that. So everyone in the workshops has to say no at least once and everyone has to hear no at least once because that can be transformative when you allow that. So we stop being afraid of asking people for intimacy if we are you know, not so afraid of those rejections. Mm. um other things is to slow down take breaths if there's if you've got a relationship and you're in a glut you know there's things you could do to change um those gluts. like um take turns normally when people are having sex with things they're trying to try and meet each other at the same time like bashing each other's gentleness at the same time which is amazing but also it can change the dynamic by, like i'm going to serve you for an hour and then you're going to serve me for an hour and yeah, you know, these kinds of things so, there's so much to say about any tips it's like yeah. a world of tips but yeah t- another tip is if you've got a partner just say to your partner let's go outside for a walk or let's sit at the kitchen table and let's talk about something we'd like to try that we haven't tried before mm-hmm. don't say so, It's better to have that conversation, not in the bed, Mm. outside, because then you can, like, have a clarity around it and not not a pressure. And then, Mm. yeah.
1: Cool. Well, I'll uh, link below to Shawnee's work for people that want to check out more of Mr. Shawnee love. And hopefully... We'll be doing some retreats and stuff together. Yes, yeah, um, hope so. Yeah, Shawnee was meant to be at my Bali retreat that got covid um, Yeah, <laughs> But hopefully there'll be another one soon. Hopefully,
2: yeah. And I can give the people give people who are watching access to a, uh, one of my online courses, perhaps like that. Yeah. A discount code. We can put that in the comments Yeah, as well. I'll put a little yeah. discount
1: code. It's got one for uh, male-bodied people that are wanting to be better lovers and then getting conscious with kink.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah we can sort that out for you all. Sweet. Mm. So, yeah, check the
1: comments if you're interested. Yay. And thank you very much. I'll talk to you. <laughs> oh. Bye,
2: everyone. Bye. Mm.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it inspiring. You can connect with me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and through my website, centralartistry.com and centralarts.school, where you can get some freebies and sign up to my mailing list to stay in touch. Hope to see you again soon.